Well, good morning. It is good to be here. It is good for us to gather together in the Lord's name. I'm appreciative and thankful to all of you for the prayers um, and the encouragement that we have, my wife and I and our family have already received uh, from so many of you. Thank you for that. We certainly appreciate very much your prayers. I'm also very thankful uh, for uh, the pastors, their support, the leadership, uh, the elders, uh, pray for your elders. They're, they, they're working very hard and uh, want to serve you and the Lord well. I'm very thankful for Steve um, and his leadership uh, as well. So we're just thankful to God for how he works and he moves in his church. And all of that is a blessing to you. And, uh, and that is what we pray, that God will continue to bless this church and bless each of you as we continue to follow him as he leads us. If by chance you did miss uh, last week, uh, I do encourage you to just uh, go ahead and go online and you can listen to the message and uh, you'll hear more of uh, what I shared and it's better to hear that in context and so that's all available online. And we're going to now continue into our, in our worship in this time of preaching and teaching the word of God. And uh, you just heard uh, the, the, the scripture and the text read. We are studying uh, the book of Joshua, an Old Testament book, and we've been working our way uh, through that. And today we're going to be uh, moving into chapter 4. And as we do, we're, we're going to be seeing and, and looking at what it means to remember. To remember. I want to put up here a, uh, a photo of um, a, a small plaque that used to hang in the home of, of my mom and dad. Um, and uh, they would keep it by, by the door. Uh, it says, Jesus never fails. It's really pretty small. And uh, they'd always see it uh, on the way out, just kind of walking out. And uh, uh, just over time, even, I, I remember my mom and, and my dad would just kind of touch it, put their hand on it, and on the way out is just kind of a reminder to them that as they leave to remember Jesus never fails. Never, he will never fail them. And uh, it was just a reminder to that. It was a, it was a stone of remembrance of sorts is what we're going to be seeing today. It was a visual object, a visual reminder that their Lord, their God will never fail them. And it's now in our house and, and, and it's in our house and it's reminding us of the same truth. So, but it's also reminding us not just of the fact that our God never fails, but also that this has been passed down uh, from uh, my mom and dad to us to continue that in the generations to come. And, and as, I, as you think about that, I just want to ask you a question. What about you in your life? Like, do you have stones of remembrance in your life? Things that you point to and hold on to and, and, and say, yes, this, is, uh, this reminds me, it reminds us, it reminds our family of the faithfulness of God. Something that is there to just put your eyes back on him from the distractions of, of life. His faithfulness, God's. God's faithfulness, God's provision, God's goodness. Well, today's text and message, my prayer is that it's a reminder uh, to all of us. And that's what it's intended to be, uh, as you'll see as we go through it, that we need to remember all that God has done for us. And we need to be reminded to remember. 
And that's what this text is doing. So let's pray and just ask God to go before us. So would you join me in that? Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness. We have uh, taken time to sing about it and to testify to it. Lord, now use the preaching and the teaching of your word to have these truths not just heard, but Lord, may they be rooted in our hearts to believe these things about our God. You are faithful. You are good. And we can trust you. So help us, Lord, to see that in this text and to see that in our lives, Lord, each person here. I pray that you would help each person to remember, to bring to mind, even over this time that we have here, that they would be reminded by you of examples in their life where you have been faithful to them. Maybe they didn't recognize it before. Maybe today you can show it to them and they can see God at work. Thank you, God, for your word and your truth. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, as we looked at uh, chapter 3, we left off with the nation of Israel crossing the Jordan. And we saw that in a very powerful, miraculous way. Uh, The Lord God brings the entire nation through the river. And the way that he does it, again, we can't lose sight of it. We're reminded of this in chapter 4. But it's the Ark of the Covenant. Again, the presence of God, that's what that signifies, going before the people, leading the way. And then our writer here of this, of this book takes time here in chapter 4 to explain in, in, in detail, like he takes time in detail to explain something to us, to, to the readers, that there is a need for the people of Israel and the people of God to remember what God has done. So we see here the stones of remembrance, and I'm referring to this one as the first set. You'll understand more as I go through this, but you see in verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over, and again, I explained this narrative to you a little bit last week. This is what we would refer to as choppy narrative, right? You're not reading this and going, like, this is all coming in order. You're reading, and it almost sounds like they went in through the river, came out, went back in, came out again. Like, it's just the way that, again, it's the Hebrew writing, and again, it helps us understand that, you know, there's truths that are being communicated here, that that's what we want to take from this. But it is a little choppy. So the, all, all the nation, verse 1, had passed over the Jordan, and the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, each from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. Uh, again, referring to the fact that they were standing on the riverbed uh, that was dry. And bring them over with you, these stones, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So first notice this. Notice that this is direct instruction from God to Joshua, right? We've seen narrative before where they were doing something. We didn't have that uh, specific instruction. That's not what this is. This is not one of those occasions where we're wondering if Joshua is getting this direction from God or not. No, this is clear. This is from God. What does God command Joshua to do? He is to appoint 12 men, one man from each tribe. And each man from the tribe is then to go into the riverbed, take a stone uh, that they're, you know, the riverbed that they're passing through, right where the priests were standing holding the ark, and carry that stone 
to the place that they're going to sleep tonight. So it's going to be somewhere on the other side of the Jordan where they decide to camp. And, and the specific instruction in verse 5, if you look at verse 5, it tells us that the stones, they're quite big. They're, they have to carry them on their shoulders. And, and, and these would be strong men that would be doing this. And, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for people just to make a rock pile. Right? Like, think about it. They have to go in there into the, into the riverbed and, and carry the stones out just to pile them up. And sometimes the work required for something like this, it, it doesn't seem worth the effort. I mean, really, if you step back and you think about it, there could have been somebody there who would have said, wait a minute, if we're just going to take the rocks from the riverbed and pile them up over here, can't we just go to where we're going to camp? We'll get some rocks there, pile them. No one's going to know the difference. Really. I mean, wouldn't that be so much easier? Does it really matter? And of course it does to God. It reminded me as I was thinking about this, because I've been doing obviously a lot of reminiscing. And, and so I, I, it reminded me of something that we did uh, as a church back in the uh, spring of, of 2006. So at that time, as a church, we were still worshiping in what we used to call the old sanctuary. You guys remember that? It's now our community room. It took us a while to actually lose that phrase. We had two worship services at that time, and it wasn't because we needed it. We didn't need two services for space. We had plenty of space for one, but it was what we'd already, it was kind of what we had done previously. So we were continuing to do it. The people were used to it. And, um, you know, I had just started, Dwight had just started, and, you know, you want to be a little careful about how much change you bring in, right, early to start, right? But at that time, the Lord was giving me very clear vision of a church worshiping together as one body, one community. And, 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 but it wasn't something that could easily just be communicated. Yes, you could communicate it, you could articulate it, but it needed to be experienced. People needed to see it at work. And so after some discussion, what we decided to do is we made a decision to have two worship services in the gymnasium. Now, at that time, the gymnasium was nothing more than the gymnasium. That's what it was, just a gym. And so the thought of having worship there for a lot of people was no way. But we were able to move forward, and we decided to have these uh, worship services together. We decided to do it Palm Sunday and Easter of 2006. But to do that, we had to turn our gym into a usable space for worship. And so we had to set up a transition day. I'll never forget this day. It was a Saturday. There was like 20 to 30 of us here. And there were people cleaning the gym. There were people carrying chairs, carrying stage pieces, musical instruments. We were carrying them, carrying them through the grass. Actually, it was this, like the grass right here that's now our worship center. We were carrying it through that. And, and we worked all day. And I, at one point in the middle of the afternoon, I'll never forget, I, I think I remember who it was. Uh, by name, but I, I, don't, I may be mistaken, so I don't want to say, say the name, but I remember this person come up to me and saying, Pastor Mark, it was probably later in the afternoon, is all of this work worth it? Like, we're, 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 we're working all day to bring all this stuff in a gym. Like, it's already over there. Can't we just, 
And I wondered the same thing. I remember thinking, is this all worth it? Like I'm watching all these people work and, and they're doing it because, you know, to, to some degree we ask them to and they're just willingly do it. And I hope it's worth it. So we worship together on Palm Sunday as one body, then on Easter. And it was powerful. It was wonderful. And after worshiping together as one body on those two Sundays, it was pretty clear and to everyone that it was worth it. And the vision for unified worship had been experienced by the body, not just talked about, and we never went back to the old sanctuary. But sometimes it takes like that kind of like physical work to experience a spiritual moment. And it was the same for Israel that day. They were lugging big rocks all for the purpose of piling them up on the other side of the river. But it wasn't about that. For God's, from God's perspective, it was a much higher purpose. Much higher purpose God had in mind. And we're going to see that play out here. So why one man from each tribe? Well, this was a symbolic of the entire nation of Israel. One man from each tribe. God, God doesn't do anything by mistake, right? So this is one man from each tribe means every, the nation is represented. This is how important oneness and unity is to God. Even in his symbolism, he makes sure everyone's included. And why did the stones then need to come from the riverbed? Because these stones of remembrance, they had to be stones that were buried under the depths of the Jordan River. Only to be exposed by the power of God. That's how they were exposed. The power of God exposed them. And so when they're piled up, that's what they can testify to. These specific stones made it clear that this God, that they're worshiping. The God of Israel has power and might over nature, even mighty rivers. I don't know if you were paying attention to that song that we were just singing, Christ Be Magnified. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about how that song starts by talking about nature. And if nature could just, could just scream out what's in the heart of nature, if, 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 if it had a heart, right? Like if we could give that, you know, that, that kind of imagery there, that it would be saying, Christ be magnified. The seas, the mountain, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the creation of God wants to declare this because it's true. And it's showing here, even in this miracle, the power of God over nature, even the mighty rivers. And then in verse 8, we see that the people did what, what they were supposed to. They obeyed. They did what Joshua said to do. So then we have the stones of remembrance. The second set, you see that in verse 9. Joshua set up the 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. They're there to this day. And, and so this is another set because Joshua had the people set up a pile of 12 stones then in the midst of the riverbed as well, where the priests were carrying the ark. Now, why would Joshua want that? Why would he want an additional pile of stones in the midst of the river? Eventually, what's going to happen, right? The waters are going to come, come over. They're going to cover the stones. But, but when the river waters recede, when, 
when the stones, uh, when that happens, the stones that, that are there are going to start to show. And this means that in the midst of a drought, the midst of lack of rain, in the dry season, think of that spiritually. In the dry season, when the river dries up, the stones would remind the people that their God is one who provides just like he did when the nation crossed the Jordan. When you're dry in your life, spiritually, when you're thirsty, your God will come through for you. And then in verses 12 and 13, we see these tribes that we've seen before from chapter one. We talked about these tribes, the tribes that wanted to remain east of the Jordan the ones that we read about, what do we see here in chapter four? Well, they keep their promise. They send their armed men. Remember the, 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 the tribe of Manasseh and Gad and, and, and Reuben? They, they promise, hey, we want to stay east, but we're going to send our people with you. And they send their armed men and 40,000 warriors to help Israel take the land. So they're following through on what, again, unity. We see that here. And then we see that God exalts Joshua in verse 14. And he does that to reveal something. So when God would exalt a human leader, it's not so that leader would take glory from God. It's so that the the people would see that God is with this leader the way he was with Moses. That's what he wants the, the people to understand. It's all about God, but he's just using his servant. God is leading, and he's working now through Joshua. Now, what is the significance? You notice in verse 19 that there's a 10th day of the first month. And you might, you know, you read through that and you think, oh, well, that's nice. I'm glad they told us that. I don't really know why they did, right? What, what's the purpose of that? Well, to understand that, there, there is purpose. In Exodus chapter 12, I'll, I'll put up here on the screen, you can see it. Exodus 12 verse 1. So this is now the time of the Exodus. Listen, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. So now their people are still, this is before they, were, uh, they left Egypt. This month shall be for you the beginning of, month, of months. So God is establishing the, the calendar. And it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, the first month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house as a lamb for a household. So what's, got, what's going on here? Well, the 10th day of the first month was the first Passover. It was the night of the final plague in Egypt. So what's the significance of that? And, and I want you to realize this is not a coincidence. This is it's not, it's not a coincidence. It's not, it's not luck. It's the providence of God. It's not fate. It's not the universe lining up just right. What is God doing by aligning two events on the same day, events that were separated by more than 40 years, but occurring on the same day? Well, you have the exodus from Egypt and the entrance into the promised land happening on the 10th day of the first month. What does that tell us about God? That what Yahweh started in Egypt, he is bringing to completion in Canaan. What Yahweh begins, he finishes. 
What God starts, he finishes. And this is why God is the one that leads. Following him. And then to tie together even more symbolism than just that, when did Jesus die? What was the Passover? So you have the Exodus, you have the crossing of the Jordan, going into the promised land, and then you have also the time of Christ and his gathering with his, with his uh, disciples, right? And celebrating the table that we celebrate at Passover. Not coincidence. Divine providence. God at work. Now, why did God ask for these stones of remembrance? Why? I want to give you a couple reasons. There's uh, three of them. The first one is this. The stones were there to encourage and instruct future generations. Look at verse six. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Well, tell them. Tell them what God did. That the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Before what? The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Why, why, why that phrase? Why, why not just tell them that, that you know, the water was cut off, but no, tell them that it was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. In other words, it was cut off at the presence of God. So 15 years from now, when a father and a son or a family, mom and dad walking with their children or walking near the river, And the young son says, what are those pile of rocks? The Lord is telling the nation, tell them what I did. Tell them what happened here. Tell that young boy that the Lord God cut off the waters of the Jordan to allow his people to cross over the Jordan into the land that he had promised them and that he had given to them. That's his intention. These stones are just visual reminders, symbols of what God has done for the nation. But he wants the people to tell the next generation. It is the same with us. We owe it to the next generation. And those of you that are older, you have stories, tell them. And if you're younger, listen. So that you can see how God has been at work. And you can tell others as well. You see verse 20 through 22. Again, when your children ask, verse 21. Their fathers in times to come, tell them. Do you see the importance of parents telling their kids what God has done for them? Parents telling kids the amazing ways that God has worked in their life. And that's what we need to do. We need to connect real life, what we go through, things that are happening with what God has done. That's what he's doing, right? That's what God is doing. God is connecting a real life thing, walking through the river with a spiritual truth God was at work and we need to do the same thing for our families. We need to help them see that God is active and at work in our lives. 
That's why we need to be careful about how much we complain about life and things because we're, we're children of God and there's so much for us to be thankful for. And we need to help teach our children less about complaining and more about being thankful for who God is and what God has done and what God has given to us. So that they're not always thinking about what they don't have or a lack of contentment, but a contentment with what they have and who they are and what God has given to them. Find those stones of remembrance in your life. Find them, those symbolic objects that you can point to and say, look what God has done. Tell the future generations. Grandparents, tell your grandchildren. Parents, Tell your children so they can, and let it continue to go on. That's the intention here. So in 2022, our family planned a vacation in uh, South Florida for the summer of 2023, this past summer. Um, And and just so you know, that literally had nothing to do with this upcoming transition. At the time that we planned that, had nothing to do with it. It wasn't even a thought. But we wanted to have that time together as a family and, and also remember uh, our time there. And, and so our daughters were able to go with their husbands. Uh, our son Mark was able to go. And we went back to the house that we lived in. And we were telling them just stories of how God had worked in, in our life to even get us to that place. We visited the church and, and, and helped them see that, yeah, this is where the call to ministry happened. And, and they were able to connect stories they've heard, but with some visual aids of, of they could see God was at work. He's at work in the real world that we live in. And, and we just remembered and we, told, we just told that story to our family and just what a, what a great time it was just to remember to th- and, and think about all that God has done. God has done those same things in your life. What are they? Use those stones of remembrance to tell the story of what God has done in your life. Communicate that. Tell others. Another reason is that the stones were a testimony to all the peoples of the earth that our God is mighty and a God to be feared. Look at verse 24. This is part of the goal of these, just think about it. It's a pile of rocks. In the end, that's what it is. But look at the intention of verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. How does a pile of rocks do that? She may fear the Lord your God forever. In other words, this was not just for the people of Israel. This was for the Canaanites. They needed to see who God is. They needed to see that Israel worshiped the one and only true God. All the peoples of the earth must know this. How in the world could just a simple pile of rocks make that known? In faith and with testimony of what God has done. God will use it. The stones themselves will testify to all the peoples of the earth that the Lord is mighty and a God to be feared forever. I couldn't help but think, thinking about this also, what Jesus said, right? About 
The fact that if the, if you don't, if the people don't praise me, what is going to praise me? The stones are going to cry out. Because this God is worthy of it all. And then we see that the stones were a reminder to Israel that their God is faithful and worthy of their complete trust in the future. Again, you see that in verses 22, 23, talking about what God did, dried up the waters of the Jordan for you. But I want you to notice something here. They're a reminder to Israel that their God is faithful and worthy of their complete trust in the future. Don't lose sight of that. You see, it's not enough. It's not enough for Israel to just repeat the great things that God has done. And it's not enough for you to do that, just to repeat the great things that God has done. These stones of remembrance are not just to repeat what God has done, but they are to help us have faith and trust that God has more to do. Because if that's all we do, yeah, God used to do these really, lots of really cool things back here. He doesn't do anything anymore. Well, that's, that's not right. <laughs> You're not putting that together the right way. It's no, look what God has done so that you can have faith and trust in the future. You need to look back in the past and say, my God has been faithful. He can be trusted. That means I can trust him with tomorrow. My faith has grown. You see, your faith should be growing. God's work in your life in the past should lead to your trust in God growing. Your faith growing. Our church has a stone of remembrance. Some of you may recall this. A reminder to us that God gave us that land next door. For many years, we talked about the purchasing of that land. I would go over and visit with the woman that lived there. Her name was Marie, and uh, she had no intention of selling us that land. She told me that. Uh, not while she was alive, but maybe at the, on the other side, we'll, we'll see what happens. And so just trusted for God to work, but as we were beginning to plan for the building of the worship center in faith, Taking that step of faith, God opened the door at that time, not by our design, made that land available, land that we had never had made available to us. And it just so happened because we were raising money for the worship center that God also provided the funds we needed to purchase the land because we didn't have that either before that. Now we had the land and the provision. Must be God doing something. We purchased it and now last week, We finished paving a portion of that land, making room for more to hear about Jesus. And that stone that's there, it's probably not out there yet, right? It will be eventually, but because we, with the construction, we didn't want it to be destroyed. But when you see it out there, it just is a reminder to us and to the next generation of the faithfulness of our God to this body. We're so thankful. See, those are the reasons for the, for the stones of remembrance. They just, they captivate us in time and space and say, wait a minute, I need to be thankful to God for what he's doing. 
Let me now, as you kind of digest those reasons for these stones of remembrance, let me, let me give you some truths for you to consider in your own life now as you think about the, this text and these stones of remembrance. First, first one is this. Getting through the rushing river is not enough. We must remember the faithfulness and the provision of our God. Let me explain what I mean by that. Getting through the rushing river is not enough. Sometimes we can testify about difficulty we've gone through in the past. We can testify about these difficult times. We can, we can list out exactly what happened, right? We can lay out the, the details of when and what I was going through and when it happened. And this is, and we have all this, this information about difficulty. But what we sometimes forget is to actually talk about the faithfulness of God to us in that. You see, it's not enough to just have stories about getting through the river. We have, to, we have those, and all of us do. All of us do. But those stories need to lead to a testimony about the faithfulness and provision of God. That's where they need to take us. And so that's where we have to be careful about spending too much time talking about all that is wrong in our life and all that is difficult and rarely taking time to talk about the faithfulness of your God to you. We must take time to remember all that God has done for us. Remember his faithfulness, remember his provision, and take time to do that each day. Take time. Second truth here that we should consider is that one of the greatest enemies of faith is forgetfulness. Now, I'm not talking about getting old forgetfulness, where you walk into a room, you don't know why you're there. Some of you, you all know why you're here in this room, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about forgetting the faithfulness, the goodness, and the provision of your God to you. We forget that. Just think about that. How is that possible? Yet we do it. We forget that God is faithful. And then fear and anxiety and worry and all these other things start to come up. So if your faith is feeling weak, it's feeling shaky, if you feel like, you know, my faith in God just seems to be wavering, I'll suggest something. Perhaps you have become forgetful about what God has done for you. So I'm here to remind you to remember. I was thinking about this message and I'm like, well, this is a really easy message. I'm going to go before the people and say, remember. And I'm going to say it about 16 different ways (laughs) over time for you to remember what God has done. Take time, if you have to, list it on paper, put it on a device, but take time to remember what God has done for you. Because Satan wants you to forget. And all he wants to do is remind you of all that is wrong and all that is difficult and all the things. That's, his, that's, that's what he's throwing at you. And your God wants to remind you of what he has done. 
what he's already done. So do not allow forgetfulness to weaken your faith. Remember what God has done. And then third, getting into the promised land is not the end goal. We must all strive to enter into final rest in Christ. This, for this, we need to go to the book of Hebrews. And what's so interesting about the writer of Hebrews and what we're reading here in the Old Testament, which is what makes this book so amazing in so many different ways, is how it all connects. So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled, talking about the Old Testament? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So here's the writer of Hebrews going back to the Exodus, talking about Moses and the people who left Egypt. And, and he's saying that who were those who heard and, and, and rebelled? Heard what? Well, they heard the truth. They, they heard the faithfulness of God and they rebelled. Was it not those who left Egypt? So these people were the ones delivered by God. Verse 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years. Who provoked? God. God was provoked for 40 years by people who were what? Complaining. Why? Because they forgot. Was it not those with those who sinned? So now the writer of Hebrews doesn't just say they forgot. He connects forgetfulness with sin. Well, not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. What he's saying, what the writer of Hebrews is doing, is connecting the fact that these people who left Egypt didn't get to go to the promised land because they complained and they forgot what God had done. And he calls that sin and disobedient. And he's now connecting that into what is still yet future for us. But in verse 19, and I'll do that in a minute, But I want to point out verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the writer of Hebrews says it's more than just that they complained. They were disobedient and they had unbelief. They didn't believe in their God. That's what he's saying. That happened to these people. They rebelled. Against God, those who sinned, their bodies fell in the wilderness. They died. Why? Because of unbelief, not believing, forgetting what God did for them. You have the not believing and the forgetting connected because it forgetting affects our faith. Because of that unbelief, they could not enter into rest, the rest of the promised land. But what the writer of Hebrews tells us is there is a better rest even better than the rest of the promised land. See that in Hebrews chapter four, starting at verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest. So let's just stop right there and say, okay, the writer of Hebrews is now connecting us back to what we're reading here in the book of Joshua. If Joshua had given them rest, who's them? The people of Israel. What do they mean by rest? Getting them over the river and into the promised land. If if Joshua had given them that rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, well, it was a promise that God gave them of land, but there was a better rest coming still in the future, another day later on. Verse 9, writer of Hebrews explains it. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And that's just a reference to the Sabbath. And then verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The verse 11, that rest is the final rest that we have in Christ. That is a reference to glory in heaven with God forever. And it's called rest. Because you know what? We, we've never experienced even the most peaceful moments we have in life are quickly taken away, right? With the urgency of whatever we got to do next. Whatever the next problem is, whatever, right? You have those moments, you're like, oh, could I just take that moment and multiply it? We are going to enter a rest where that is all gone. And we just simply rest in God. But we have to strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What is the same sort of disobedience in verse 11 referring to? Referring back to the Old Testament and the people who were complaining and not remembering. Forgetting. So to us, that exhortation is, if we forget, we don't remember the faithfulness of God. And we just get caught up in, in life and all that is going on and all that is affecting us. This same thing can happen. We can, we can fall by that same sort of disobedience. That's why we need to remember. We need to strive to enter into that rest. I'm not saying that we're earning it. God has won that for us. Christ has won that for us. But we rest even now in God and trust in him as we strive and look forward to what he has for us. So don't fall by that same disobedience. Be aware of that. What disobedience, again, is Hebrews referring to? Unbelief, not believing, not trusting in God, complaining and forgetting what he's done for us. So again, let me just remind you, make stones of remembrance in your life. And, 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 and what I mean by make is, it's not like they're not there. God has done things for you. You just got to think and take time to remember and ask him, say, God, bring them back to me. I don't want to forget. I never want to forget all you've done for me. Remember all that God has done for you. Remember all that God has done for this church. He has been so faithful and he will continue to be. Don't forget and strive to enter into that final rest. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for all the wonderful and great things you have done for us. Lord, help each and every one of us right now bring to mind, flood our mind and our hearts with things in ways that you have been faithful and good. Remove from us, Lord, a spirit of of just complaining and lack of contentment and help us, Lord, to just rest in who our God is and trust in you. Help us, Lord, to never forget the faithfulness of our God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.